Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to the episode number 12 of Fans About Films. As always, I am Lasse Vogt, your creator and host, and I have a new special guest. Please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm... <laughs> I've done this like three times now and I'm, I'm still nervous about this kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> hello, my name is uh, Samantha Walker, otherwise known as um, Ariel Rocks 5. Um, oh fuck, I think my brother just fell down the stairs. <laughs> um, yeah, my name is Samantha Walker, otherwise known as Ariel Rocks 5. Um, I write primarily on the web movie website letterbox.com and I have a Twitter under the same uh, handle <laughs> too. I also have a YouTube that I tried to get started with like one video of Harvey Beaks, but that went nowhere. <laughs> that, so, yeah. That sounds great. So, dear listeners, everybody, let's just say this is going to be live and pretty much unedited. So, if any flops are in this, they are staying in for the most part. And also a fair warning because I forgot during all of my last episodes, um, we are not really a PG podcast here. So, um there could be swearing in this maybe if you see in episode number 11 there uh yeah there actually was something and i've been i've been warned about this so and you are warned too so please if there's swearing in this and you can't handle it fair oh, warning <laughs> fair warning here so um I think we can just jump right into our topic what did you want to talk about first um, just whatever, uh, whatever you want to talk about. I'm open for, like, anything that isn't, like, super private on my end, because that kind of stuff is, you know, private. Yeah, of course, don't worry. Um, and you're speaking to one of the most open person on the internet, you know, at least, no, not, not that much, but I, I post a lot and say a lot of stupid stuff, but I'm... Hey, that's like literally everybody on the internet, so don't worry. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. But I'm able to control myself unless some other dudes, um, even some dudes who have a, a big amount of power, whatever. Um, so, Trust me, dude, I don't have any power. The most I have is a bunch of people who just read my garbage. <laughs> And it's great garbage. Dear listeners, please check out that Twitter account. It is amazing. It's it's so, so much fun reading it. <laughs> Thank you very much. I try my best to bring up as much content as I can daily. So and if you want to follow me, uh, be fair warning, there's a lot of uh, bitching about movies and horrible, horrible, horrible puns I make. <laughs> uh, like cele photo, like terrible Microsoft Paint celebrity photos. And maybe I'll send some over to you to put up right now. Um, would, you, would you mind doing that or like... Yeah, um, uh, I, I will. Uh, I will of course put the link um, under the video to your Twitter handle, so um, everybody yeah. can uh, can see it after that. But right now, it's it's not it's not going live uh, on the air. I, I still have to edit something. So yeah, yeah no, I mean, like edit like one of my like a few of my photos. I can send over to you for like um, Ed Helms deep or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can. Or, uh... For my personal favorite, Brian DeLama. <laughs> <laughs> totally, you can do it. I will. Uh, I will uh, figure out to to throw them in there. C cool. Yeah. Okay. Just so do. Those are two, those are two of my favorites. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, that's what I do mostly because I'm just. Uh, yeah. Whatever. Sorry. <laughs> We are just all very mature, right? <laughs> yeah. Very. <laughs> so um, yeah, you watched a movie a few days ago, if I remember correctly. 
Yeah, it's a kind of obscure movie. Maybe you heard of it. I think it's part of this like little thing called the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I, I think it's slightly growing an audience, but I could be wrong. Really? Because that actually kind of sounds like to me a huge rip off of the um, of that like a dark universe. Like you the know, the dark universe wasn't that the, the thing with like the Tom Cruise mummy movie that I unironically paid twice money twice to see in theaters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was a huge hit, right? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. It was such a huge hit. When I went there the second time, literally nobody was there except me, for my father, and a few other people. <laughs> oh my god! It, it was one of the bigger theaters, so it was like barren. Wow. What did you think of that one? I mean, you you yeah, went. I, I actually kind of liked it, but <laughs> I'm trash, and I enjoy like most things. Oh. Ah, fair enough. All right. Yeah, but uh, yeah, the movie I saw. I think most people have seen this movie. Was uh, the latest. Uh, four movie for Ragnarok. Yeah, <laughs> and I take it you've seen it too, or I did. I I did um, a few okay. days ago. Yeah. Oh, nice. Uh, I really liked it, and uh, it seems to be the common consensus with a lot of people. I think the difference is that I'm actually I like four a lot, like as a character, and I've always liked the four movies, and so it's weird for me to see like so many people like saying, "Oh yeah, four is cool too," and I'm like, I, I liked him before all of you, <laughs> like that kind of scenario. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, so, no, I, uh, you first. So I guess you are um, you are into the comics uh, in a way. Uh, no, I'm actually not. I tried. I've tried to get into the comics for like a long time. From the ones I'm into right now, I got a vintage uh, collection of the old Jack Kirby Fantastic Four comics for my birthday a few months ago. Mm. It's like uh, the first fifty. 50 or so issues, and I've read through that. But for the most part, I'm not that big of a comic person. I've just always liked... Um, I've been following this franchise since I was, like, at least, like, 10, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's been interesting to see it evolve to this, like, ginormous, like, uh, Mount Everest-sized monster we see before us now. Yeah. But I, I think what was interesting here is that this was not directed by someone whose handle, like, a blockbuster like this, especially with this caliber, and I still don't know how to pronounce his name correctly. Is it Taka Waititi or? I, f I think you pronounce it correctly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Who did um, a few underground movies in New Zealand, which I think people have heard of. A lot of people know about what we do in the shadows. Yeah. And Hunter for the Old People, and there's also his other two movies, Boy and Eagle versus Shark, which was I think was his first movie. Yeah, I think and so, so too. Interesting to me, it's like. When I first heard about him directing this movie, I was like, huh, because it's a weird choice. But after watching the movie, I think I can see why they got him, because he's a very clear, visionary director in some of his other instances. And it really shines through with, like, how, what, kind of, what happens when you give that kind of director, like, enough money to make, like, whatever he wants, basically. Yeah. And... What I thought was interesting is that it definitely feels like a movie where the director just had set up like a premise, set up like a scenario, and just let the rest of the crew just run wild with it, which is like something kind of I felt it was kind of missing from the last, at least like last year with Marvel movies where they just kind of felt like sterile, same by same stuff. This one you can tell like there's a bit more energy to it, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry if I'm rambling. I don't want to make this like totally like me just rambling nonsense. For, oh no. Like, an hour, so. no! No, no, no! Don't don't worry. Um, the, the, the guests always get the um, 
um, get to ramble here. I mean, I mean, you have a guest. This, this is my show, but you know, they're used to my voice. They want to, they want to hear your opinion. I guess. <laughs> but I also thought it was cool how um, interesting the color palette was because it's a, it's a very distinct type of color that they use that's different from like other movies in the MCU. Like, take Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two for example. That was very like retro 70s kind of yeah. color and sci-fi this reminded me a lot of like vintage like video game covers of oh. the 80s kind of yeah. sci-fi but that's totally the, in the intent i'm sure yeah which i thought was like really cool and it's like kind of makes me wonder like if like anybody like who is watching this movie like gets up the will to look up some of the older like 80s movies that's just probably inspired like not like the the more popular ones, but like the underground, like garbage ones, that you find <laughs> at like the video store. <laughs> yeah, it, it it looks kind of the look is kind of like um, I don't know. It it looks like one of those um, foreign ripoffs of um, yeah, exactly. of, of certain big American blockbuster movies. I I, I totally duck that. Yeah, me too. Especially, I got like I got a bit of like a. Has anyone have you ever seen or know about the heavy metal magazines? Or like the movie, um, that vaguely rings a bell. But uh, but it I was, um, it was an anthology movie that was yeah that uh, one yeah I, I I just yeah I I know it with, uh, I've seen the nostalgia critic review of that one. Oh yeah 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 that's one of my um that was one of the things that was kind of reminding me of especially like the last um the last segment of that movie was a basically silent like retro apocalypse story involving a woman like on a quest to yeah slay a dragon, I think which was really cool yeah I remember and that I kind of like, got that kind of similar vibe in terms of the aesthetic of the planet that Thor lands on it's kind of similar to that which I thought was really neat yeah also in the way that pretty much anything could happen yeah exactly I also kind of got vibes of the um I'm not sure if like any of the listeners or even you have heard of or seen the show uh, Earth's Mightiest Heroes, the Avengers cartoon from I think 2010, roughly. Uh, might be that I've I've seen like clips of it or anything, but but I don't think it's quite that popular over here. Okay, but um, what what I thought was interesting is it reminded me a lot of the last uh, seven episodes of season season one, where like all the Avengers are scattered across the different realms, and I think there's. One with uh, either four or Tony Stark stranded on this kind of planet, similar to this one, but I could be wrong. I'm not sure. It kind of reminded me of that, and like other cartoon uh, action cartoon episodes where they would like be stuck in a gladiator arena and have to fight off <laughs> with new characters and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, that's what. Yeah, to, uh, you're totally right about that. I liked the movie um, a lot, and, and the rest of the audience seemed to enjoy it too. It was it was a quite full house. Um, it's the 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 first two four movies uh, don't really are not really some of my favorite Marvel movies. You know, I liked the first one, um, but but it's 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 kind of like it it was like you know Marvel pretty much new that this character would be difficult to adapt, you know, on screen. Yeah. Because he's one of the, one of the more outlandish ones, because he's kind of like a, a literal god. And so they're like, what are we going to do? And so they 
yeah, they they uh, took his powers away and sent him to Earth, and it's this fish out of water comedy in a way. But also, they were smart that they got Kenneth Branagh to direct that one to give the scenes in Asgard like this Shakespearean kind of grandeur. Yeah, and what I think is interesting about the fish out of water scenario in that movie and what, how it contrasts from this one is that they both kind of revolve around him learning to grips with his power. Because in the first movie, it's him being stripped of it because of being irresponsible with his with what he can do with the act of like seeking out war and whatnot. And here, it's a contrast of him witnessing, like feeling that uh, responsibility weigh on his shoulders, but doing having no power in order to stop it. Yeah, which is interesting. Yeah, totally. and then you get the second one, which is just like this like bizarre fucking fantasy mixed with sci-fi. Mixed with like some bastardized like Star Trek episode. I, I barely remember the second one. What even happened in that movie? I can't even remember. Um, like, there was a lot of uh, stupid comedy on Earth. There was like this dark elf wasn't guy. There a scene where, like the, the old guy was like running around Stonehenge with like the cameras or something? Yeah, he was naked. Stellan Skarsgård uh-huh. was, was naked in that. I don't know okay. why. Also, question what is with Scythe? Why well, look like recent blockbusters and using Stonehenge recently? Like oh, that my. movie and like the, like the new. Transformers movie also used Stonehenge. Yeah, yeah, that's. Uh, don't remind me of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I live tweeted that movie like a few weeks ago. I'm sorry. Oh, damn it. That, oh, that movie pissed me off to no end. <laughs> I don't blame you. That was a nightmare. That was like, you know, it, it's like, oh, this is gonna be the shortest one in fact, like the longest one. I, you know how. Okay, so if you don't know about this movie, I live tweet movies, which is kind of like a riffing thing where I take screenshots and mad little jokes of it. Most commonly, they last me about two hours. That one took me five hours to finish because <laughs> I had that much material to work with. Uh, yeah, I, I would have done the same if it if I hadn't seen it in in, in the cinema. And it was it was the biggest. It was the biggest um, auditorium uh, in the cinema I went to, and there were like except me like six people there. Wow, that's sad. Um, yeah, but but rightfully so, you know, because finally the audience caught up with the fact that that movie was like uh, watching that movie. You know, it's 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 not like any of those movies were like great, but you know, the first one is kind of fun. The second one is god awful. The third one is barely tolerable in the last act. Um, the fourth one I actually like the most now because it's just batshit insane. And it just doesn't give a shit about logic. And so I'm like, all right, I'm on board with you. Because how can you ma- how how can you get mad at a movie where a robot drops from the sky onto the ground uh, while falling, lets everything around him explode, uh, landing on it and riding the explosion further down, you know, surfing on a ball of fire. I'm like, how can you get mad at that? I, I can't. I really don't know because mostly because I kind of have been traumatized by those movies because leading up to the last night, I had to live tweet literally all of them. So I spent literal days watching each of those movies. So like I practically know them like the back of my hand. Oh, no. And they're also like permanently ingrained into my mind. So... Yeah, but but the but the, the the fifth movie, it's like that movie was disgusted by itself. You know, it, it's it's like it's that movie knows. Oh my god, we are a shitty movie, and we can't believe that we actually uh, exist. 
and, and yeah, that we actually exist and we can do this shit for the fifth I was time. I disbelief watching it because I'm just like, I constantly heard from people like, it's so insane. You're not going to believe it. I'm like, oh, come on. It can't be. And then I watch it. I'm like, like, not even like 10 minutes in and I'm like, I already have like at least five different like versions of like the same tweet asking what the fuck is going on yeah especially like uh, even during like the first 10 seconds when the paramount logo is shooting at us <laughs> it's like that fucking guy richie king arthur movie all of a sudden yeah and actually uh, that opening like i don't know seven minutes with king arthur that was better than anything than king arthur legend of a sword oh god it, because that movie was oh, that movie sucked, but, but that movie that movie was bad in a more creative way than Transformers Five. Yeah, like uh, uh, Guy Ritchie's King Arthur was was bad in a more original, like kind of baffling way. Transformers yeah. Five was bad in a very tiring, angry way. You know where you're like because in, in King Arthur uh, you can feel the you can feel the pa- the, the misguided uh, ambition. You can feel yeah. like they are trying to do something different. It's like, you know, Gary G is directing Lord of the Rings on crack. Um, but uh, in Transformers 5, it, it's like Michael Bay hates this franchise by now. And um, everybody else does, but they, but they are still paying it. And that's the, uh, that's the only reason why they're making, making it. And it. I described that movie in my review of it on Letterboxd as the almighty hate fuck. And I think that's probably the most accurate depiction of that. Yeah. It is. But it, anyway, it, back to four. <laughs> it totally is. Oh man. It's 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 it was so insufferable. The only enjoyable thing was like the Viking Arthur opening with the weird tone shifts with drunken Merlin, played by a guy who who played by Stanley Tucci who played another role in the fourth one. And he is the first with Wiccan and also like it it, it goes all back to like Mozart and like to all listeners who haven't seen it, you think we're making this up, but this is real things that happen. Yeah, it's 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 like a and like and I when I watched the credits I got extra mad because not only were there six editors for this piece of fuck But uh, uh, four screenwriters, and one of them was Akiva, I ruin everything I touch, Goldsman. Fun fact, too, I looked it up online. Apparently there's been uncredited, like, story and and screenplay rights by Steven Spielberg, too. What? No. I'm not joking. I think this is, like, I'm not sure this is, like, an official thing that happened, but apparently Spielberg had his hand in the story, and for some reason, like... The collective mindset of, like, Michael Bay, Akiva Goldsmith, and Steven Spielberg collectively making this suddenly explains the unholy mess we see before us for me. Yeah, because Steven Spielberg uh, has always been, right from the beginning, an executive producer on this franchise. And you can feel his influence in the first movie in certain scenes. That's that's why I I like some of those stuff. Especially when, like, the the, the Autobots come to Earth for the first time and... Bumblebee oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. reveals himself and sends the light, so 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 you can feel that. But in the later movies, he I think he barely had anything to do with it. And now hearing that he apparently has some credited story material on this, and it kind of makes sense con- uh, considering like the the kid stuff, you know, with the few boys and then the girl, and then she just disappears out of a movie until the end. So I'm like, maybe that was one of his contributions, like like the idea of a kid with a robot, because that's kind of up his wheelhouse did you say it's up his wheelhouse that's a terrible joke <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I totally made it on accident <laughs> oh 
Oh my god. <laughs> Up his alley, I think I, I, I was supposed to say, but up his wheel. Oh my god, this is actually kind of genius and terrible. Jesus Christ. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I, I made, I've made far worse puns, honestly. <laughs> puns are always bad, but they have to be glorious to, to, to work. You know, they, you have to laugh because they are so bad. I mean, yeah, exactly. Oh man. Um, yeah, but, but that movie was. What was total like? I I was um I think uh, what what part was it? But but that was like, I think it was um like um if uh, in one of the scenes where the butler see three PO rip off a <laughs> robot who I hated more than anyone else in this freaking franchise when he was like um, I don't know maybe like in, in, in the car chasing like move bitch get out of the way or oh yeah that scene oh like, my god you are on my shit list now or something I was I was about to stand up in the cinema and screaming fuck you at the screen <laughs> For me, this, the thing that broke me was the reveal that a pocket watch transformer killed Hitler. That was actually that actually made me laugh for some reason. And I was like, why aren't you making a movie about this? You know, like if we inglorious bastards transformers because they are told you right now. It's like, oh, whatever we can we make up, we uh, we are putting into this movie, even though it makes no sense uh, in context with the other movies. Because oh, apparently the Autobots have been on Earth since ever. But uh, it's established in the first one that they weren't always there, you know, that, that they just it's came. Kind of like, it's kind of like the case of the Friday the 13th movies, just constantly pushing back the day, Jason's age, so that way they can retcon the amount of time gaps there is. Because if you, like, follow basic math, the fifth movie takes place in, like, our time. <laughs> yeah. But at least, like, 30 years pass in the span of those movies. But they somehow still keep taking place in like the 80s. Yeah, it's actually, um, I, um, I I also make like um, a German language um, video reviews uh, to all the movies I, I saw in the cinema. And on that, my review is like, I don't know, 30 minutes long. And oh after nine minutes, as soon as I get to the British butler robot, that was my first time I actually had a rage quit. Because I am... Uh, I'm, uh, like uh, he's co he's coming to my mind uh, and you can see it on screen and I'm like I'm about to explode and then I stand up and leave the frame and you can hear me in the background um, slamming the hand uh, uh, at my wardrobe for a few times and and then I uh, and and then I, you hear, hear me cursing for a few seconds and then I go back and continue to review the movie on screen because I just had to leave. I just had to let some steam out. It was... Uh, th that thing annoyed me like... No... Uh, he was even like... It, it was not like, you know, he, they did like racist stereotypes like with uh, skits at Mudflap in, in the second movie, but this one was kind of worse because they are also wasting a pretty dignified British actor, Jim Carter, to do the voice. And But they, they are wasting all dignified actors, you know? They... They, they, they have Anthony Hopkins like flip a guy off while riding like what a Ferrari or something. Yeah, and uh, yeah, yes, and here's yeah. Again, we're not making any of this up. Like I, I could, I you could not pay me to make this kind of stuff up. What was one? Yeah, and it's it's about Merlin's staff, and I was and and uh, my and I also um, on Facebook I. Um, 
kind of say just my quick thoughts with a with a photo and and a poster um, to uh, to the movies I saw on screen. You can actually see my my reaction photo in my in my Twitter. That's 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 the face I made um, when I came out of Transformers Five. Uh, and you can see the poster in the background. And then I I posted on on Facebook like you know what I thought of the movie. And then I just listed the stuff that happened. So I was like, King Arthur, Merlin, a talisman, Merlin's death, a dragon robot, a butler robot, Anthony Hopkins, Stonehenge, and all that stuff. And then then I I closed the the Facebook post with like, I'm done, fuck everything. (laughs) 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 Because... I know that feeling. Yeah, because I, I, I just was so done. It's like... And uh, speaking of Guy Ritchie, there was kind of like a Guy Ritchie introduction montage sequence when they leave the Transformers, um, uh, the, like like the Decepticons. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, it's like suddenly turns into the fucking Suicide Squad for some reason. Yeah, it was like a mixture of Suicide Squad and, um, you know, like a Guy Ritchie movie. And I'm like, what are you doing now? And, and then one of the uh, Decepticons says like to one of the uh, um, uh, human guards, like, hey, uh, greetings to your wife. And he just flips off. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> uh. Imagine, okay, audience, imagine that, but have someone having to watch like a series of things like that for five hours. And that was my live tweet. Oh, Yeah. In fact, I think I summed up the entire like experience of watching that with this one tweet that I'm gonna quickly look up. I uh, keep talking, I'm gonna find it. <laughs> so here it is, found it. This is my this is my my review and what it was like. It's so long and so much of it makes literally no sense. I'm sweating like mad. I'm hungry. I want ice cream. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> that is Transformers Five in a nutshell. Yeah, it, it is. And, and thank God it kind of underperformed. You know, it still made like six hundred million dollars, but it's a disappointment in in, in in the grand scheme of things. So I'm like, all right, thank Christ. And next, they are um, they are trying to make a Bumblebee spin-off movie by the director of um, Kubo and the Two Strings, and that actually sounds fairly interesting to me now. Yeah, it's weird too. Like, I forget if there was like some kind of connection between him and Hasbro or something. I think there might have been something, but I'm not sure. But that sounds actually kind of interesting. Yeah, could could work, you know. But but it's like, and I also I also kind of hate trashing movies like that because you can see the money on screen. You know, can see like they spend a lot. This had to be hard, you know, to make. Like with the explosions, the CGI that still looks good. The all that all that stuff, you know, to, to plan everything, to license everything. This is expensive, expensive yeah, exactly. and great filmmaking. You know, it's it's not like it's a poorly made film. You know, you can see everything. You know, the action is kind it's of like just that the script is batshit insane. Yeah, it's and it's no sense. And you can feel like that the uh, the the main people behind it don't care but you're like but everybody else you know the 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 animators the the special effects artists you know the extras the the coordinators on set you know i i I, and and also you know they got paid for their jobs i'm like good for them but this is but when the the main people don't care and you can feel it in every frame it's so weird how can a movie look so grand and expensive and yet feels so incredibly cold and hollow. 
That's Michael Bay for you, I guess. Yeah, but 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 Michael Bay has good has made good movies and has made. Yeah, that's the thing. Like too, I'm not a Michael Bay hater. I'm just like I'm just baffled at this existence. Like, it's like you know maybe he was like, all right, I'm getting a huge paycheck for this, and after this, I will fund a, a, another dream project of mine. You know, because it was like. You know, he made pain and gain for very little money because that was something he truly wanted to do and you can see it. I thought Pain and Gain was a, v a very entertaining movie. Um, it's one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. It's, when I had seen it that year, because I uh, I had to watch it later because it didn't uh, come to any cinemas near me, I, I it probably would have landed in my top ten somewhere. Uh, and then I uh, watched it on DVD and I was like, wow, this movie is very entertaining. And of course, the you know newspaper critics, even like here in Germany, you know, they, they kind of shit all over it. And I, and I was like, oh, you know, whatever. That's kind of the thing. I think none of Michael Bay's movies are like certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Even, even like the ones that are considered to be good, even critics didn't like them. Be it like the first Bad Boys or like... The Rock uh, or The Island. Um, I think all of them are in the rotten department, which you can kind of understand, you know. But it's like, but he's made objectively, actually, um, actually, some solid movies. I would even put like the first Transformers in there to some extent, even though I don't like it as much as I used to when I was sixteen. Um, now I see a lot more problems, especially compared to like two and three. And four was like, you know, it's it's so crazy. I, I'm I'm letting it go. And I also liked a lot of those Autobots, and in this one they barely get any screen time, like the Samurai one, the uh, the, the British Bender one, the uh, because it's the same. It's uh, Ralph Macchio, uh, no, no, uh, no, John no, DiMaggio. Uh, yeah, yeah, John DiMaggio uh, voices that that green British guy. He does like a Jason Statham impression, and that was that was kind of fun. But the rest, it's like whatever. Uh, Even even Mark Wahlberg, you can see in certain shots, like ah, he he he's kind of angry to be in this movie again. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. And what was up? And that was my tangent on Transformers Five after a conversation on Four for some reason. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Um, yeah, we've, yeah, we talked a little bit about Four, so that's but because this is um, people. Um, just a fair warning, even though I should have mentioned this in the beginning. Uh, do you remember in, the, in episode number 11 when me and Rachel were going off uh, on a lot of tangents? This is nothing but that. So, um, yeah, prepare yourself. This is, this is going to be all ramble uh, by fans of stupid movies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, But I think we can tra let Transformers go because I could talk, talk about that one for like five hours and it's just not worth it. Um Is there, is there anything else you want to bring to the table about like four or something or if, if not I, I'm... I have a theory and I want to see like anyone else was thinking this I think the Grandmaster is just Jeff Goldblum <laughs> you mean Jeff Now, hear me out on this hear me out on this notice how we never know his real name yeah. he just goes by the Grandmaster and think about like Jeff Goldblum's personality in general And imagine what he would do if he actually had the ability to have this much money and build this kind of empire. That sounds very reasonable. Um, but that sounds like, you know, maybe like Jeff Goldblum was, was like in, in the Marvel Universe, just, was just like beamed up in the sky and then landed there. Who knows? Um, but 
well, <laughs> and like time travel because he kind of like created that planet i think in a way well they say i think there's an offhanded line about how time works differently there yeah <laughs> he was so yeah that's my that's my theory i i seriously believe that because i don't think anyone else could make this kind of place except for him yeah and he stole the movie i mean he was just like he, everybody on on the cast had the time of uh, of their lives but he he had the time of of all the lives yeah <laughs> it was it was so enjoyable watching him especially like the the part of the spaceship where, where it's my birthday i just like <laughs> I almost I laughed so hard. I almost peed myself. Yeah, I almost it, like I said on Twitter. I almost fell out of my chair. It was just it was just great <laughs> because I can picture someone like him having that kind of button on his ship. Yeah, but something like you know maybe like a more dickish Tony Stark would have done in in a way. <laughs> yeah, uh, that that was great. Yeah, and as yeah. I um. Uh, you mentioned something earlier when they announced uh, uh, Taika Waititi as the director. I really was taken aback, and I was like, "Really?" Because um, it's it's a movie called Ragnarok, and anybody knowing anything about like uh, North mythology should know what that means. And I'm like, "And you are hiring the director of uh, What We Do in the Shadows for this?" Because I, What We Do in the Shadows was also a movie I liked a lot, and I'm like. What what exactly is he maybe like trying to branch out? You know who knows? And I didn't I didn't know what to expect uh, by this. Also like when he hired Mark Mavaspor for the score, I was like, oh, now I seriously don't know what is going on. And um, and and then I'm like reading the reviews and watching some of the trailers, and and they are still not selling it as a really as a comedy but when the review is calling it that so I'm like alright so I'm going into this expecting comedy and that's what it was and I, I I think it was a little uneven every now and then because you have like uh, slapstick stuff uh, mixed in with uh, massacred soldiers in Asgard and all that stuff and I'm like ah oh, that's, that's it's kind of you know other Marvel movies did that way did that stuff kind of uh, better you know how they um, yeah kind of like in, in guardians of the galaxy i think i think um putting this uh, in the first guardians of the galaxy putting this very dark and serious villain um next to next to the guardians worked very well and i thought he was actually one of the funniest characters because of it because he was just so serious and humorless um but um in, in this it everybody is kind of cheeky and um yeah and funny and, and some and for the most part it works but sometimes i'm like ah now i would actually prefer a little bit more serious here especially like in um uh, spoilers everybody um in the end where like um asgard blows up and they're still making jokes about and i'm like ah this this is this is a little too much now maybe maybe tone it down especially since it's the director who's voicing that particular character um that, that was a little bit too much but but uh, I, I I let it go. It actually has a very unique uh, personality. The, this whole movie, and you can see the vision because um, the second movie, the second four movie, really has no vision. You know, they got the director of a couple of episodes of Game of Thrones because it's a fantasy movie, and they were like, "All right, do this, do this, do that." So you can feel the studio control all over that that one, and you don't have a distinct personality in that so it was very refreshing to see some other marvel movies um during that that's one of the reasons i like the third iron man 
because that's a clearly a Shane Black movie, and that's what yeah, I'm exactly. that's what I'm seeing it as, and not that really like oh, it's this is part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is much more like one of his movies that just happens to have Iron Man in it, and I was totally cool with that. A lot of people weren't, but that's one of the reasons I like that one. Um, which I think would make watching this one interesting because I watched this knowing this guy's work and I watched this with my father who has seen none of his movies and it was interesting to see the contrast between us because <laughs> he really liked it too but I liked it for different reasons because I was watching it from the eyes of like wow this guy like with a big budget can really direct action well yeah I was surprised by that as well because like it's very like controlled action that's the big thing with like I think uh, when it comes to action scenes in these movies, I think it's it a bit too frantic sometimes. But here, you can like you get a good idea of what's going on in the scene without it being cluttered. Yeah, the first action scene, especially, I, I was like, oh, yeah. "Oh, really? Wow, this is this is actually really good." And also, like the arena fight, and nothing goes on for too long. They are very well crafted um, action and set very pieces. Dynamic, like visually, like oh, yeah. you can tell who's who in the scenario. Because I remember like the that that like Civil War or like a Winter Soldier where I just had like everybody was like gray looking and I could tell I couldn't tell who was hitting who at one point. <laughs> I'm fairly certain I got a migraine because of it. Yeah, because they were going for another style there. I, I thought it's actually great how they mix it up sometimes. How you can expect from the Captain America movies now to be a little bit grimmer, a little bit more serious. And also, like, the style of action is a little bit different, especially, like, in, in Winter Soldier with, like, the, the causeway fight and everything. Uh -huh. That was, uh, I think, uh, that was one of the most surprising Marvel movies, Winter Soldier, because I didn't like the first Captain America all that much. And um, so, so, so that, was, that was actually uh, quite cool, um, seeing how, how they took it. And also directed by comedy guys. Um, yeah. So it's it's interesting how they use some of their directors and uh, um, yeah it, it would have been nice you know maybe now they would let Edgar Wright do what he wanted to do with Ant Man but I think I think a friend of mine put it best that this movie is basically like Kevin Feige saying like okay look I'm sorry I didn't let Edgar Wright make the movie you wanted here please forgive us I let this guy do whatever he wanted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that sounds kind of reasonable. Um, it's uh, it, it was it's a shame because Edgar Wright is one of my he's actually one of my icons when it comes to directing. I, I'm a director, I'm a director as well, so I um, I, I totally dig his style and um, I try to get some of that um, editing magic into my um, into my f uh, last uh, short film that I made for my. Um, for, for my filmmaking class and, and, and it uh, went over very well like like people recognized oh wow this is actually these are actually cool ideas and I was inspired by Edgar Wright and certain things so yeah it's it's it's, it's great how you can try that with very little money if you just have passion and time and he could have done you know uh, Ant-Man was one of his dream projects he worked like 10 years on that and then they just then it just didn't work out. It's a shame. And he, um, but you know, he has made another great movie this year. Um, something he has worked on for like twenty years. So it's, um, yeah, it's it's. Um, I'm curious to see where these movies are gonna go now. Um, that, that's maybe a discussion for another time. 
But yeah, yeah I, I was I was uh, not pleasantly surprised by four three because this, uh, I I was looking forward to it and I was like, oh, this is probably gonna be um, up my alley, and it was. So I I, I had I had a lot of fun um, during it. There is one more thing I want to talk about. This is kind of like, this is a rumor being spread around, but I'm not sure if this is like being in full talks right now. Apparently this guy is being in talks to do the like long in development hell Akira movie. Yeah. And I'm curious to see like how that's going to be because a lot of people know Akira because of the, the movie, the anime movie from the 80s. But what most people don't know is that the manga that it's based on is a long manga. Like, not just, like, long in, like, an uh, ongoing series. I'm talking, like, it's the size of free phone books. Long. Oh. And so, like, he also said in an interview that if he was ever going to do that, because I think he's, like, saying, like, look, I can't, I'm going to be doing this, but I legally can't say that, so I'm just going to give you a little breadcrumbs. Yeah. He's saying, like, he wants to stick truer to the comics than... The movie, which I think is an interesting choice, and I'm curious to see how that plays out if he actually gets the chance. Because compared to the last, I think three directors they wanted to get for this kind of project, I think it would be perfect. <laughs> yeah, because and then it will it will be another American uh, manga adaptation that nobody goes to see, even though it's not that bad, like Ghost of the Shell this year. <laughs> yeah, that that was something. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was weird. Um, like, and, and, and I'm not acting like, oh, I thought that movie was great, but I was like, you know, it wasn't bad. It was just, you know, yeah, it wasn't bad. It was just kind of, it just kind of existed. Yeah, but 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 I don't understand why it bombed. Actually, I think was it just because of a casting controversy? Because because <sighs> it was marketed as like all hell, and uh, I, I don't quite know, and I I don't remember it getting like the worst reviews so i'm like the like bomb bomb or was it like like an underperformed bomb i think like between that i guess kind of um uh, uh, certainly it wasn't a hit uh, and, and not, not the hit they were expecting it to be so so i don't know you know uh, and i uh, the general audiences also don't look at like who directs this who wrote this because it has to direct of Snow White and the Huntsman which was like you know whatever but it has the writer of Transformers 2, 3 and 4 behind it oh god that's right yeah that's why I got very worried when I watched the opening credits and I'm like oh no Aaron Kruger oh no but then I was like alright oh, maybe he had just little contributions um, <laughs> yeah that's uh, that Akira thing that sounds interesting I, I've only seen the movie and it was a couple of years ago and I didn't quite understand it I just remember how it looked um, and I know it's like one of those big uh, landmark movies and I was but I'm, that's one that's those kind of one of those kinds of anime and sci-fi I'm not particularly into because I also didn't really like the first the, the original Ghost in the Shell because to me that movie felt like the finale to a TV series I never watched. It, it seemed like they... I don't know, it seemed like I was supposed to know what was going on and all this, these characters and the concepts and then I realized, alright, this movie's just too subtle for me, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I get that. I like those kind of stuff, but that's because like I like reading into certain details. That's why I like the new Blade Runner movie so much. Oh yeah, I like that too. Yeah. 
and I wasn't really a fan of the original Blade Runner, so I was very, uh, but also like Dennis, Denise Villeneuve is a better director than Ridley Scott, so uh, that's just fact, really. <laughs> yeah, by now, yeah, I'm like, I'm like looking back at Ridley Scott's filmography, and I'm like, really, people like has he really like I, I legitimately like Kingdom of Heaven. I think that's a, that that's a very good movie, and I I didn't see like one of his lighter ones. I didn't watch Matchstick Man. A lot of people say that's one of his best, but I. I don't like Gladiator. I think that one is overrated. I, I did a podcast episode about that one. Um, I don't like... You know, like, um, Robin Hood is fine as a standard um, uh, medieval action movie. It's not a good Robin Hood movie, but when you just see it as a standard action movie, it's good because Ridley Scott can do that. I, I'm i not a fan of the Alien franchise, so not really of the first one. I know that's sacrilege, but, you know, sue me, whatever. <laughs> I don't care much. I, I like the original Alien, but I prefer the sequels, honestly. All right, but I, I hated Prometheus, and I didn't watch Alien Covenant because I wanted oh, that movie because That's I wanted awful. that movie to bomb and fail, and so they don't make another one. I was like, no, you're not getting my money, so you get the chance to I do saw that anything movie for else. Free, and I wanted my money back. <laughs> yeah, I heard, I heard bad things. I'm like, Ridley, just you know. Just stop. You know, it'll stick to your executive producer stuff like on this Blade Runner. Can you imagine what would have happened if he directed this Blade Runner sequel? Oh, God. I think he totally would That's have... That's the interesting thing I noticed when I was watching the movie after my own Lukewarm thoughts on like Ridley Scott and the original is because it kind of shows how contrast their views on humanity are. Because when you look at Scott's filmography, from what I've seen at least, he's a really bitter filmmaker. Hmm. Whereas when I watched, like I watched the original Blade Runner, I'm like, this is like really kind of oppressive, which is weird. Yeah. Because it's kind of like trying to be a movie about humanity. But then I watched the new one and I can see like this guy has a clear, not necessarily like criticism against humanity, more like a criticism against like the bad aspects of humanity and why that's kind of overcome us but there's still like a glimmer of hope somewhere in there oh yes yeah i can see your point there um uh, yeah um you're actually right now now looking back and also like uh whatever he thought like oh i have to make exodus i'm like really like why <laughs> We've seen Nobody this. remembers Exodus no. you. Yeah, because because I, I watched that uh, on DVD um, with one of my brothers, and it took us like three sittings to get through it, because um, if we watched it like over the course of a day, and we just paused it every now and then, like, all right, I'm getting a drink. All right, now we are t we are going on a walk with a family. It was like around like Christmas time. I think that's why he was there. So it's like. And 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 we and we were looking at each other when the credits were, and we were like, "Wow, this was bad. <laughs> <laughs> it was so boring. Like it was so when like when the uh, DreamWorks animated musical version of that story is the better one. You're in serious. It's legitimately really good movie, though. I think I think so too. But I like this. This kind of shouldn't happen, you know. <laughs> I guess that shows you the power of good storytelling, man. Yeah, it is. I, I like that movie a lot. Oh my god! And and uh, and also like you know the, the the Cecil B. DeMille's version is a much better movie. It also much more impressive nowadays than 
the, the visual effects in the Ridley Scott one. The only thing I liked was like the um, how they interpreted God as like this eight-year-old with a temper tantrum. I was like, this is kind of interesting. And they didn't do anything with that. And also like how the, the plague start and you see the uh, crocodiles feed on the fishermen and then blood gets in the river and that's why uh, the frogs are coming out. I'm like, this is also quite cool, but they don't do much with that. And it's kind of miscast in a lot of ways. And it's, you know, for obvious reasons, but uh, also for different reasons. And it's just it just jumping ahead uh, to... To, to weird story points and I'm like why is Sigourney Weaver playing this part this has, that has like three lines um, it's yeah it was that movie was a mess oh my god it's like and, and then Ridley kind of redeemed himself with a Martian where I was like wow this was a really good movie like hey please do, do more of this and then he followed up with Alien Covenant and I'm like a Christ guy but um <laughs> Blade Blade Runner I uh, Blade Runner uh, twenty forty nine uh, yeah I, I I liked that one a lot my my father liked it too um, I, I went with him and I I just that was one of those science fiction movies like maybe that's also like if you don't get these movies anymore it's like the, these ambitious slow deliberately slow. Uh, I describe it more as methodical than slow. It's like very deliberately paced. Yeah, yeah, but in mood. It, not? In broad terms, you can call it slow because it is, and it's 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 it does it very well. Because I didn't expect a big action movie from this director, and the first one isn't either. So this was uh, when there's action, it's it's very well done, and uh, actually that yeah, movie surprising. Because I did not expect him. Because I forgot, like as much as people like to compl- uh, say that he's great with like visions and philosophical, he can direct action really, really well. Yeah, he is. A, he is a man of many talents. And um, what was? And the, the movie was rated. I think it was rated R originally, right? Yeah, it's it's R over here. In Germany, it was uh, it was the it was the German equivalent of PG thirteen. Like twelve, it was rated twelve, <laughs> and I'm and I'm and I'm watching this, and I'm like, really, because it's not like overly violent, but it's like it, it's still, you know, this is this is not material for for kid, you know, it's this this is quite heavy material in a lot of ways, you know, like the psychological aspect of it, you know, whatever, but we're still. There are still like uh, bloody headshots in that, and also like violent stabbings and everything. And the totally the total opposite happened with um, the Magnificent Seven remake, because um, that movie was rated PG thirteen. So I figured it would be rated twelve in uh, in Germany. So I uh, bought it and didn't look at the cover and watched it. And after a while, I was like, "This is rated 12? Be- because it's like. That movie is violent as hell, and I when I looked at the box, I'm like, oh, it's it's 16, all right. So the the, the German um, censors were um, uh, a lot a, a lot stricter there, so, so they didn't cut anything out. They just made the rating higher because I figured that this big of a this kind of western with these big Hollywood actors would also be rated like 12. This is not something like you know what Quentin Tarantino does with westerns or something, but. Yeah, I was I was actually quite shocked by how brutal it was, and then I was like, "All oh, right, it's sixteen, so I guess that's that." Did you watch that one? 
I wanted to. I started watching it, but I kind of got left off because of other stuff. Okay, you should. It's 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 very entertaining in my opinion. I think it's a, I think it's a really cool kind of, a throwback to those, um, kind of gritty westerns. I, I like the cast. Um, I like the action is great. You know, just pretty well, much. Luke's a really good director. Oh yeah, pretty much all practical there. Um, very good shootouts, very good music, you know, James Horner's last score. Um, it's, uh, it, it, was, it actually made me sad listening to it in, in the movie. I'm like, oh man, we will never hear any new music from him again. Um, so that, that, was, uh, that was very uh, touching. And yeah, I, I like that one. It's, it, was, it was a lot of fun. And I, I'm watching this and I'm like, wow, this is a great movie for my dad. And when I yeah. show when I showed it to him, and he also liked it, he was, I think, he was also kind of taken aback by, by some of the violence, but in a good way. Um, nice. Yeah, but th that was uh, a lot of fun. Um, wait, let me see. Oh yeah, there's another topic um, I have. I actually kind of prepared that one. And were you ever in the situation where you were walking? through the video store or maybe like browsing through i don't know netflix or something or to, through some movies and you watched movies because of some name on like the, the tech crew or something you know you saw like the name roger deakins there or maybe like uh james newton howard or um or like i, I don't um. know i think so i might have Because I remember watching a movie because I think it has someone who did the score for it because I really wanted to see what it would sound like. I forget what it was. Yeah, I I, I, I am like that with Danny Elfman all the time. Oh, yeah, me too. I love Danny Elfman. <laughs> I, I spent like the last I, I like, no joke, listened to like the Mars Attacks theme like all of October. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of his great ones, yeah. Uh, was it? It's a very specific film. I forget what it was, though. Uh, maybe you can remember something and then I can help you figuring it out. Do you mean like technical as in like they directed it or... Like no, 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 like, like not, not one of the big, big uh, positions, like not like directors or writers or producers, but like just someone like, you know, maybe like the, the cinematographer, maybe even like production designer or the composer, you know, all, all very important people, but they are not the people who typically are like, oh, we got to see this movie because this guy did this. Um, not that I know of. What about you? Yeah, I, I do that mostly with composers and sometimes even with production designers. Like if, if a movie says like Rick Heinrichs on it, I'm like, all right, I'm sold. Or like maybe like uh, someone like Bo Welch of a production designer and a lot of music. You know, I watch a lot of weird movies just because Danny Elfman did the score. I probably wouldn't have watched Fifty Shades of Grey if it wasn't for Danny Elfman. Because I was like, all right, I have to watch that movie anyway because of my YouTube review series. And then I am seeing Danny Elfman does the music and I'm like, oh fuck, now I definitely have to go see it. Um, I also watched Tulip Fever because of him. That's a movie you probably... Ah, I knew it. I knew you hadn't heard of that. It's a movie that was supposed to come out uh, like December 2015 and it was delayed until August of this year. 
Oh, that movie. Yeah, with an all-star cast and no advertising at all, so nobody went to go see it, and it's also really not good. <laughs> but the music is good. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's it's like one of uh, one of Danny Elfman's more softer moments, and weirdly, the main theme sounds like Scarborough Fair. It's very interesting. I will send you. Um, uh, I will send you one of the music cues. It's it's quite interesting how you can actually quite clearly hear um, a Scarborough Fair um, in in those tracks. Um, but but it's uh, but it's cool. And also, I got to. Um, Watched Danny Elfman on a concert he did in Hamburg uh, a few uh, months ago. Uh, I he he did a big uh, big concert and it's 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 called Hollywood in Hamburg where um, some uh, movie composers um, do this in this big concert hall we have in town and um, it, it's a town that's like an hour away from me. So I I got um, tickets and I went there with a friend. And, and I surprised her when we were standing in front of the concert hall. <laughs> so, and he, he was there and it was like the, the, the Czech uh, Philharmonic Orchestra. And um, they played, uh, what, they played some cons concert stuff of his. Um, even like a, a new violin concert that, that's pretty new. And then they played um, suits from... Uh, his Batman soundtracks, Alice in Wonderland, and also Edward Scissorhands, when he surprised us with the Simpsons theme. And then he got on stage and sung What's This? Oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah, he did it. That was that was great. And after that, I, I got to take a photo photo with him and got some autographs on, on CD booklets I brought with me. And that was just great to meet this big icon and uh, I, I, I told him I'm looking forward to everything you do and he was he was very humbled and kind and it was it was amazing and next year um, it's uh, John Powell's turn in the same concert hall and I have tickets for that as well oh nice I love John Powell uh, he's one of the best seriously did you know he's going to be doing the score for the Han Solo movie next year yeah when I figured that out I was like oh Jesus Christ this is this is heaven <laughs> Exactly, I can't wait. This is crazy. This is the only reason I'm actually excited for that fucking thing. Yeah, right now, kind of. Because before that, I was excited because of the directors. And that that's like the opposite thing of what Marvel did. Because they hired Taika Waititi for, for Ragnarok, fully knowing what he was doing with that, right? Because they had to yeah. know his filmography. They had to know, right, this is this director. And seeing how this is full front one of his movies. I'm like, all right, he had free hand and he told like 80% of the movie was improvised. So I'm like, all right, so he, he had free hand. And so I'm like, and the Star Wars guys, um, they, they, they hired the Lego movie and uh, 21 Jump Street directors on the Han Solo movie. And then after they shot a good chunk of the movie, they fired him. A good chunk, like... 90% of the movie. Yeah, then they fired them because they're like, oh, your, your style doesn't go with our, uh, you know, with our franchise. I'm like, you should have known that before. Like, how stupid are you? I'm like, all right, you have your vision, you have your plans for this franchise, that's fine. Then hire directors who won't, you know, who, who do what, you know, hire someone like Joe Johnson or Brad Ratner who do whatever you want. Yeah. Don't, don't hire people with their own vision. That's the same mistake like 
DC did with Suicide Squad and and like um, and or like uh, Fox with um, Josh Trank and uh, Fan Forstick. Oh god, that that's probably the worst example right there, especially yeah. in terms of the editing. You know, I have a theory about that movie that I've, I've to, I told this, tell this to everyone, and every time I tell it to them, it kind of blows their minds. You can tell that after the whole one-year title drop thing in that movie, it's directed by someone else. Yeah. You know how? Two things. The lighting and the cinematography. Drastically different from the first half. Kind of, yeah. You can see it. You can see it. Like I think some scenes might still be like some parts he directed, maybe. But you can. Uh, but you can also blatantly tell what is reshot because of uh, Kate Mara's wig. Um, you, you because she got a haircut, and then they had to do reshoots, and then they put her in like a, a, a wig that, that didn't match at all. So, um, so you can tell whenever her hair is different. That's one of the reshot scenes. Um, but but yeah, you're right. Most most of that must have been directed by someone. I don't know. Maybe like the Simon Kinberg hack. Who I was knows? Just about to say that <laughs> because he's he's like one of the he's like involved in all of the twentieth uh, century Fox like uh, uh, Marvel movies, and and I'm like this guy has done. I don't know. I'm I'm like I'm I'm always I always figure like the worst parts of these movies must come from him. In a way, probably. Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty. I'm pretty certain. Uh, yeah, but that fantastic stuff was was pretty awful. And uh, but yeah, and, and I'm like, you know, you're hiring directors who have a vision and a voice. Um, like you know, like uh, uh, who was it? Um, who who, the, who the, David Ayer? You know, and uh, Josh Trank. Um, David Ayer for Suicide Squad, Josh Trank, Van Forstig, and, and I'm like, and then you are trying to fix it in editing, and I'm like, why? Like, hire someone and uh, have a clear vision before you start rolling the camera. It's really not that difficult, guys. Figure out what you want to do and then start shooting. It's, exactly. It, it, it would save you a lot of money, I think, guys. I, I promise. It's... It, it's just baffling how they are wasting that stuff. And also, like, in Suicide Squad, that movie was a pain to sit through. And I watched it with two of my brothers and and one of my brothers uh, uh, and my brother's fiancé. And um, they all liked it, but they were like, oh, but there are still problems here and there. And I'm, I'm, like, I'm, like, standing in front of the cinema like, oh, that sucked. And then I'm I'm explaining to them why why I thought it sucked, but I was like, hey, I'm glad you enjoyed it, because it was um, it was yeah, it was a total mess. And and I'm like, you you could avoid this when you um, figure out what you want to do before uh, the the principal photography begins. And so I'm like, what happened there with Star Wars? You know, I, I get it. And and you know, Ron Howard is just one of the weirdest replacements. Yeah. It's, yeah, a little silence here, uh, dear listeners, but we are just kind of taken aback because it, it's not like, I don't know, what what even? Okay, yeah, like, Ron Howard, he has, he has experience with some genres. You now he directed, like, um, Fantasy with Willow, and he 
and he directed but he he um, I, and he directed like adventure and and action and all and he like, directed thriller and drama but he's kind of i don't know it's it's weird how how he took over and i don't know how i don't know how the movie will end up because i like the cast a lot i i, I think they they had a good hand in, in casting that movie and i'm just I'm I'm very very curious about that. I don't expect like really a good movie, but especially you know knowing all the behind the scenes shenanigans, I I can't enjoy it as a movie really because I'm just constantly thinking about all right and whose de decision was this and who did this and maybe how went this one and who wrote this maybe ah uh, that's gonna be that's gonna be tricky. But at least I will. I can um, at any point close my eyes and enjoy the soundtrack because that one's gonna be very good, I am sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> ah, so yeah, John Powell, he's he's the savior. Um, this year, I think he's doing a Ferdinand, that new Blue Sky movie, and he. Ah, uh, what else? Is there anything else by him that, that comes out? I, I don't think so. Because uh, let me look. I have his uh, filmography here up on Letterboxd. Let me just go through um, most recent. Uh, film like, here it is for you this day. Uh, it's loading. Uh, he did the music for Jason Bourne and that uh, Joe Wright Peter Pan movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that thing his Peter Pan score was my favorite score of 2015 actually <laughs> that was actually pretty good it was amazing and he was a replacement for Dario Marianelli who was a fantastic composer and I would have been interested to hear um, his uh, his version of the score but I'm, but I'm glad John Powell got the job because his music saved so much about that Bad shit insane movie. That's that's a movie. That's what a movie. What's that? I just remember watching it, being completely confused. That's a movie I like to see. You know, as a like enjoyable train wreck. It's a like. Yeah. You can also feel the passion, but it's so misguided and um, incredibly, incredibly weird. Um, especially when they start singing. Uh, what was it? Like. It smells uh, like teen spirit. Yes, yeah, smells like teen spirit. I even posted on Twitter, like, you think this is a joke, but this is a real thing that happened with a link of that scene on YouTube. <laughs> it happened. And it's a cool rendition, you know? I actually like that scene. The song sounds yeah, cool. But yeah, that's that... so weird to see in a Peter Pan movie. Like, yeah. That movie is that movie's insane, but yeah, I, I I liked I liked I didn't watch Jason Bourne, which is just not my my thing. But he, I've, yeah, this year, um, well, you have it. I, I, he he's doing Ferdinand, that new animated Blue Sky thing, and uh, anything else this year? Not particularly. Ah, uh -huh. sad. Yeah, but, but you know, um, I I prefer you know maybe less scores, but more quality but he always even if he's uh, amazingly busy like he had he had some years where it was just like working all the time and he didn't disappoint on one occasion um, where he did like um, in, in this in the same year like I don't know like I don't know five or six things and like like maybe bald or um, bald what was what was the other one um <sighs> Uh, Horton hears a who, 
and all of this. You know, he's he's just always he he he's a he's a treasure. Um, I'm, I'm looking I'm looking over, but I I really wished they they would hire uh, they would hire like Harry Gregson Williams to do another cool fantasy score because that's always when he's the best. Yeah, exactly. And now he does like a lot of understated drama or, or like modern action. I'm like, he would have been, Harry Gregson would have been the perfect composer for something like Warcraft. And uh, what Ramin Javadi did with that was good. But Harry Gregson Williams, I don't know, he would have, maybe he would have uh, been a little bit more like with, with more personality, maybe. Yeah, not really. Yeah, yeah, who knows. But, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Speaking of film music, tomorrow I'm uh, I'm a guest on the um, uh, what was it on on the on the Citra Sound Theater podcast um, where oh, we neat. yeah we, where we will talk about um, certain upcoming um, scores and some things that are already out, but I can't really talk about it right now. Maybe it's it's supposed to be kind of like a surprise, but so I'm. Yeah, I, I I won't talk this much about film music now because tomorrow we will. <laughs> that's, that's pretty cool. I'm looking forward to it. That's like, you know, one of the big film music podcasts out there, and it's it, it it's cool. It's cool to be there, and I'm I, I hope I can I can also kind of like return regularly for it. It's it's gonna it's gonna be very very exciting. So uh, what else do you want to talk about? We still have like I don't know maybe like twenty minutes. Uh, favorite scores from this year? Just curious. Oh yeah, um, I actually. On the topic of music. Yeah, yeah. I actually made um, a contemporary list. Right, uh, like even when I hear a new score, and I'm like, oh, this course is cool because I review um, soundtracks um, for for a blog. So oh, nice. So I always like listen to it very closely and 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 review it and everything. So I don't know if I can say like a top. But um, I loved the Captain Underpants score by Fyodor Shapiro. Oh, yeah, that was a good one. Oh, that, that was great. Just a great throwback. That was, that was a really good movie, by the way. That was, <laughs> I, I was completely alone in that cinema with my little brother who had seen it before. And oh. I, I was glad I was alone because I laughed so loud. I think they would have thrown me out after like 10 minutes. <laughs> It's, it was I, I did I, I haven't laughed so hard like in years in the cinema not since like a puny god in Avengers yeah because I was just I was in tears especially like with a with a uh, with a whoopee cushion concert and uh, <laughs> and just with the great puns they do it also like when they are coming into school with these freaky shirts and sunglasses like oh yeah <laughs> That was so funny. It's just this is how you do this kind of um, humor, right? You know, you know, like like toilet humor and uh, kitty humor. That's how you do this, right? You know, being so so um, self confident and and being so innocent about it, and not like awkward and and weirdly in your face. It's it's just. That's how you did this, right? And the score just fit all that stuff perfectly, especially when you have a rendition of Georg Friedrich Handel's like a Hallelujah, and the choir and the choir is singing. His name is Poopy Pants. <laughs> 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 I 
how do you top that? But score was just great. Another yeah. another fantastic one was um, the, the Second Kingsman by Henry Jackman and Matthew uh, Marcheson. That score was insanely fantastic, especially the bit they didn't use in the film, which is called like Kingsman Hoedown, which features um, the Kingsman theme played by like 25 fiddlers and guitarists and like 18 banjo players. Ooh, It's amazing. Cool. I, I will send you. I will send you to the link to to that piece um, later because that that score is amazing. Awesome. Um, and maybe like uh, one of my one of my favorite scores of 2017 is Ramin Javadi's The Great Wall. Oh yeah, I remember that score. That was actually pretty decent. I, I just listened to it like yesterday again. Because that's one that that uh, brought me through all of this year because it was like the first score I bought of 2017 and this it was great. It that, that was an epic epic soundtrack and I, I liked uh, Benjamin Walfer's It a lot, especially since he retweeted my review actually. That was cool. That's awesome. Yeah, um that, that was very nice. And um, Lawn Balls for Lego Batman movie, I actually won uh, autographed a CD of that one uh, over, oh, cool. over Twitter, and, and that was nice. Like, weird, that is the best Batman score since, like, Shirley Walker's Mask of the Phantasm. How is that? Yeah, that was weird, because I've seen that movie, like, four times now, and I've noticed how good the music is each time. Ah, oh, it was great. Yeah. Um, not this wasn't like one of my favorite scores, but it was it was like the most interesting score of the year. That was Daniel Pemberton's King Arthur: Legend of the Sword. Um, I was about to say that that's one of, that's one of my favorite scores of the year. Uh, why don't you talk about it? Oh yeah, sure. Um, my favorite scores are that was one of the ones I'm going to start off with because I really like the rhythmic beat it has to fit with the editing style of Richie's uh, action mm. because it's very um, kind of. It's, it's not necessarily rock or, like, metal. It's, like, very, like, like, very to the point in terms of the beat and how it syncs up with the visuals. And there's a lot of, like, strings. There's a lot of drums. And there's some horn work in there. But it's, like, very, like, brassy, heavy horns. Yeah. And the strings are, like, like really quick. It's really interesting to hear, especially the tracks that play during the action sequences. And the opening track is, like, really good, too. Yeah, especially uh, with his um, breathing and yelling in it. Yeah, exactly. That's very, very interesting. I noticed that in the cinema right away. And I was like, all right, this is at least, like kind of uh, unconventional and they actually uh, purchased a lot of am uh, antique uh, instruments and the the, um, the the thing was they wanted to they wanted it to sound um, very very different and also not nice they wanted that it had kind of like this rough ugly sound and they accomplished that very well I, I thought that was Uh, that was one of the uh, most interesting aspects uh, of the movie. The, the score actually is um, is pretty interesting. It's not like very, very. It's quite challenging to listen to, but I think it it totally works in context. So yeah, you're totally right about that. Yeah, uh, another one of my favorites was um, back on the subject of four was Mark Mothersbrough's score for Ragnarok. Mostly because I hate the scores for like a good amount of the MCU movies because they just sound like generic uh, background noise. 
Yes. But here you can tell Mark wanted to like give this kind of movie a certain feel to fit with the techno vibe. And even though there's like a couple of moments where he does go into the more um, string heavy and like cinematic stuff that these movies are known for, you get like I think uh, Jay from Letter Media put it best, where he's kind of has that like John Carpenter kind of style synth yeah, to it. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. Especially the tracks that play during the final space action sequence near the end, and one of the tracks that plays during the uh, entrance to the Grandmaster's uh, Coliseum. They sound yeah. really, really good. Yeah, they, they do. I am actually listening to the score right now and taking notes to uh, review it later this week. Oh, nice. Um, so I'm, I'm not quite through it, but I, I you know, I. I I listened to most of it and then I uh, took a break and I will uh, listen to it maybe like tomorrow um, uh, for for the rest of it. It's I, I'm like I I find it I always find his scores kind of challenging and because they are kind of different because I always kind of like them you know it's like stuff like the Lego Movie um, was was very good but it's also like he's kind of all over the map with it. You know, he's very weird, very creative with the instrumentation and uh, and the style. And also, he's not afraid to use synthesizer in the right way, you know, where he's like, hey, this is synthesizer. It's supposed to sound like synthesizer, you know? It's supposed to draw attention to itself. And it's not like, you know, something Hans Zimmer does a lot of times where he makes the synthesizer sound like the orchestra. And I'm like, why aren't... Why are you even using synthesizers at all? You know, that's, that's, yeah, exactly. that's kind of wasted potential. And so he embraces it. And so I found that kind of challenging and also kind of interesting because I like a lot of the Marvel scores when you really take a close listen to them, especially the later ones are great. Stuff like Ant-Man uh, was, was very fantastic. Also what Danny Elfman brought to Avengers Age of Ultron, the Spider-Man Homecoming of Michael Giacchino was one of the best scores of this year also for me. Um, Doctor Strange was cool. So he, there are a lot of good scores. I totally get your point because some, some of them are more generic than others. But um, there, there's, a good, there's a good chunk of music for these movies and they are starting to get thematic continuity, which was one of the biggest problems of, of those scores. And now they are kind of Getting it right, I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another one of my favorites was, I, back on Zimmer, actually, was a score for Blade Runner oh. uh, 2049, because I really like how unconventional it is, especially for, like, a very, like, like basically like a mystery movie, because it sounds more like a horror movie. Yeah, it does. Especially that, like, weird, like, motorcycle like drifting sound that he puts in sometimes during like moments where uh, Kay is driving the car over the city because it, it really gets under your skin it makes you feel like uncomfortable but not in a way that like makes you like want to leave it's more like what's gonna happen next kind of thing yeah I had that vibe as well and also like it was co-composed by Wallfish who did two very good uh, um, uh, several horror scores this year um, oh really? Oh yeah, you did the whole, the score for it. And it Annabelle creation. Um, what was it? A cure for wellness, which had horror elements. 
um, but but Cure for Wellness was more like in in the like uh, old old fashioned gothic vibe for the most part. So yeah. the um, yeah the the, uh, the Blade Runner one I I also liked it. Um, it 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 fit the movie very well, and I liked how loud it was at certain points. Yeah, especially like that that bomb hit like they, they does sometimes with Zimmer's work. But I like how it's used in that one scene where it's a, a jump cut to K in the desert, where it's just like like you get a good idea of like how big this place is just yeah. because of how it sounds. It's really cool. Uh, this is an unconventional choice for favorite scores, but because mostly because I don't see many people bring it up. Uh, Jinna, Jill uh, Jung's, how you say her name, uh, score for Ugja, the Bong, Ju Ho Bong movie, the Netflix one. Have you heard of that? Ah, yeah, I heard about that. I, I didn't, I, 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 I haven't seen it and I didn't listen to the music, but I know what, what movie you, you mean. Yeah, I loved that movie's soundtrack because it's, it's a weird mix of like hijink, like kind of a, music you would hear like in um, a hijinks scenario but it's also like very methodical and very uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for it's not necessarily like beautiful but it's also like really sad too it's a weird mix and it's interesting to watch because it kind of fits the thematic tone of the movie because the movie is all is also kind of a clashing between like really like hijinks scenarios but they're also like very very depressing when you really look at the bigger picture and i think the music does a good job enforcing that vibe too and it's one of my favorite scores of the year i've seen the movie twice now and i want to watch it a third time and it's always um especially a piece that plays during a big chase scene near the middle of the movie is like one of my favorite pieces of the year but my um my favorite soundtrack of this year is by far uh, Bear McCree's score for Colossal. Oh. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't watch that yet. I, I don't think it will come to cinemas here because I think it's too weird for German audiences. Who knows? But uh, Bear McCree's work I really like, so I'm curious to see what he... Uh, how, how does he approach the music for that one? It's kind of like a horror movie, but it's like an inspirational horror movie. Hmm. It's uh, There's a lot of use of string music like he's used a lot in his other movies but it's more on like the guitar or the violin there's some like brass here and there especially during the more darker moments particularly towards the la the third act and the finale has easily my favorite piece of music from any movie this year ever it's called the colossal finale it doesn't ruin anything about the movie just give it a listen it's one of the best pieces of music you'll hear all year all right but also, I really like to score for the horror movie Happy Death Day, too. I, uh, I heard about that one. Yeah, it's it's not, like, a particularly great score, but it actually works really well for, like, the kind of uh, 90s B-movie aesthetic it has. Which I thought <laughs> was really cool. Yeah, so, 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 uh, those kinds of throwback scores I, I like for the most part. Like, um, it, it's always, always interesting when you review certain scores that... You usually because I, I listen to a lot of scores like for the big blockbuster stuff, of course, and so um, some of the some of my reviews tend to repeat themselves because it's like oh this is like you know big string section, big orchestra, big choir, and everything. So it's interesting every now and then to review a different kind of score, like you know something yeah when you review something like um, 
The Great Wall and uh, and Pirates of the Caribbean 5 and then you review something like it um, which is a different approach so it, it's it's that's always uh, challenging to come up with uh, with uh, yeah with that stuff and I also liked the, the fifth the pirate score quite a bit that was fun Valeria yeah. Yeah, it was a good score, actually. Yeah, it it it, it was that was one of a few breaths of fresh air in that in in that movie. <laughs> so Valerian was a great score as well. Oh yeah, yeah, I love that movies and that score. Well, I mean, Alexander Desplat is probably my favorite composer, so like I'm biased. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great how every now and then he branches out of the. Oscar Bay dramas he usually scores because of course we we know his quirky side with like the Wes Anderson type stuff and everything and he has done some fantasy stuff some animated things but it's it's always great to see him branch out where you're like wow he was hired for Godzilla all right and the same guy who did the King's Speech and then he does this just orchestral force with that one and, and with Valerian it's just all the best parts of him coming together mm-hmm. um, another a score I was actually surprised by was The Dark Tower um, because I'm not a, um, I'm not a huge fan of uh, Tom Holkenborg aka Junkie XL um, he's he's one of those composers he's like alright he is he has this, his certain style, but it's it's very minimalistic. It's like, you know, the, the, the stuff that Zimmer nowadays does pretty much all the time. But The yeah. Dark Tower, I would actually say, is one of is, is his best score. Um, because it has a pretty good main theme and it has a it, it, it has a good orchestra it has a good mix of orchestra and uh, and the synthesizers. It's it was actually a, a, a good fun to listen to. I didn't review it, but I but I listened to it and I was when you don't know that score, I will send you the link to its main theme. It's actually it's actually pretty cool. It's like the kind of it, it sounds like early two thousands Hans Zimmer in a way, like when when he scored stuff like King Arthur. Okay, I gotta listen to that. Thanks. Yeah, no problem. Um, so, is there anything else you want to mention before we um, get to the end? Um, not particularly. Do you got anything? Uh, not really. I mean, we are kind of out of time and we uh, handled a lot of topics and this fits actually quite well that we end on film music when tomorrow I will talk about film music as well. So thanks for the, for the suggestion of, of, oh, no the, of a topic. Oh, thanks but, for, ha- yeah, but oh, thanks for having really. me though. Oh, mean, it was really fun. Yeah, let's, uh, let's just uh, close this and say I had a great time uh, talking to you. It was just as fun as I imagined uh, coming off from your uh, tweets and uh, our discussions there and everything. That was just, that was just great. As, as soon as this episode is um, online, of course, you can share it all you want and I hope you have, I hope you have fun with it. Um, so before we close this, plug yourself. Where can people find you again? Uh, you can find me on Letterboxd, um, Rocks 5 uh, Letterbox slash Aerobox5 and you can find me on Twitter under the same handle. Great. You can find me on Facebook under Lasse Vogt, on Twitter under Lasse Vogt. You can find me on YouTube under Lasse Vogt, or when you type in The Depart, that's my channel where, where you can find my riffs, my reviews, 
my in five second videos you can find my short films and everything there and you can also find my written soundtrack reviews on scoregeek.wordpress.com thank you so much for sticking around for episode number 12 dear people thank you so much for being a part of it i had a lot of fun talking to you no problem i'm glad to be here <laughs> so i hope we can um yeah i hope we can do this another time also that's it for fans about films thank you dear people and we wish you a lovely day and good night good night